Well, welcome to Abundant Life Church. We are so thrilled to have you. My name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here. And uh, I wanted to begin by just acknowledging, I know a lot of you are disappointed right now that I'm here because after last week's speaker, a lot of you have let me know to take my time coming back into the pulpit. So last week, if you were with us, uh, my wife Michelle gave an incredible Mother's Day message. Hopefully you were here to be a part of it. Yeah, we can applaud for her. Uh, and uh, I can't count on my hands anymore how many of you have said, seriously, just take your time getting back. You know, she was great. So I'm sorry, but I'm coming back. I like teaching. Uh, it's kind of part of my job here. So uh, I, I hate to disappoint you, but uh, hopefully you can get excited. We're beginning a brand new series today called Overflow. Uh, if you would get your journals out and, and get ready for that. Uh, we're going to talk about how do we just live lives of generosity, how does that become a natural part of following Jesus? Because as I read Jesus' words, it should be so natural. And yet for a lot of us, we go, oh, that gets weird, or I don't want to talk about that, or, or all these kind of weird ideas. I, I don't know when it comes to money, uh, whether you get fascinated by money, you like talking about it, you lean in, or you're going, ugh, I hate this subject. It's not one of those. Uh, I think about the comedian Steve Martin. He once said it like this. He said, I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks, got a fur sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater, and of course, I bought some dumb stuff too. You know, I, yeah, I, of course. So I don't know where you're at on that spectrum. I don't know how you view money, but if you would, get your journals out. We're going to go to week one. Uh, like what we do each of these series, uh, you're going to keep this for the entire series, for the month. And I encourage you to bring it back with you. Each week you'll see a spot there for notes. We want this to be a resource for you. Uh, maybe down the road you're going, hey, I remember God was teaching me something. And you can pull out your notes and go back to it and go, oh, yeah, that's what we were talking about. That's what was going on there. If you've got your Bibles, hopefully you do. We use them every week here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So go ahead and open that up. You get to Matthew 6. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can scroll to Matthew 6 as well. We'd love for you to follow along with us as we read the text together. And as you're going there, I want to uh, kind of set the stage with something that the Apostle Paul said in uh, the, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is verse 7. Paul writes this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you may have heard that line, even if you didn't grow up in church, and, and we have this idea of, like, cheerful givers, and it's beautiful. I love the, the sentiment behind it, but here's the deal. I grew up in the church. I've met a lot of Christians throughout my lifetime, and if I'm honest with you, I would not use the description of cheerful giver to describe most Christians that I've met. And I was thinking about, well, what would we describe us as, and, and I think that, that we would maybe play on these words a little bit, and this is the, what I'm titling the message today, but, but what about fearful givers. That's probably more accurate to, to what we actually feel. We, we feel like we, we might want to be cheerful, but, but I, I find fear creeping in more than, than I find anything else. And, and so what we're going to talk about is, is fear the appropriate response when it comes to talking about money and viewing money? And, and is there something else that Jesus would have in store for us? So here's a question to get us going. How much of your time should you spend thinking about money? How much of your time? Have you ever thought about this question? How much is the right amount for you to be thinking about money? 
Now, we all have different answers to this. I could literally go around the room, and, and each one of us would say, well, I think it should be this. I think it should be this. And, and we'd all have these, you know, these answers. And whether or not you're a farmer in the first century or a stockbroker in the 21st, uh, this question affects all of us, right? How, how much should I be thinking about money? Now, we'd all have our own answers, but is there a right answer? Or is there a better answer than the other answers? I would say it's something like this. My answer would be, well, enough to manage it well, but not enough to let it consume you. Right? You, you should manage your money. You should think about it enough so that you're managing it well, but not so much that that then becomes something that consumes you. I love the way that P.T. Barnum once said it. He said, money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. It's a terrible master. When money controls you, when, when money's running the show, uh, your life will not have peace. But when you can turn money into a servant of yours, then all of a sudden it takes on a whole different connotation. So let me ask, as you think about your relationship with money, is money your master or is money your servant? There's a huge difference between the two of those. Now I want to make a claim today that as we get going, and you might disagree with this claim, that's fine, but, but here's what I would say. I think our biggest problem when it comes to money is not greed. I think it's fear. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, greed is way bigger of an issue. Here's the problem with greed. Uh, none of us can see greed in a mirror. You, you don't wake up one day and you go, wow, whew, look at me. I am getting greedy these days. I mean, wow, I didn't see that snuck up on me. You can't see it in a mirror. No one thinks that they're greedy. But here's what I've learned, that fear is what produces greed. The more fearful you are, the more that will naturally lead you to greed. Now, there is a healthy fear and there is an unhealthy fear. A healthy fear says, don't touch a hot stove. That's a good fear, right? But that unhealthy fear can turn into worry. And so whenever you find yourself worrying in your life, I would say it is a manifestation of an unhealthy fear. Now, the Bible talks a lot about fear, and, and different times, you know, you see the writers talking about healthy fear, and, and you often see them talking about unhealthy fear. An unhealthy fear is that worry, and worry is what is so common for us when it comes to how we think about money. Now, if I could go around the room and I could say, hey, have you ever had a time when you've worried about money, where you were afraid about money? I bet you each and every one of us could tell a story. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you when. Maybe that's your story right now. You came in today, you're like, I am so afraid of what's going on with my finances. See, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking today not out of theory of, hey, I, I've heard that some people get afraid. I know what it feels like to be afraid in your finances. Uh, when, when Michelle and I were first married, uh, for the first year of our marriage, we lived in an apartment. And it was great and all that. And, and Michelle had just gotten into real estate. And, and so we were able to get a house uh, for our second year of marriage. And I remember buying this house. And it was a small house. But it was our house. It was our first home. And, and I was so excited by this. And I thought, man, I can't believe that we own a home and our, our little family. And, and we knew someday we wanted to have kids and all that. But it was just the two of us. And, and everything was great. And, and so we enjoyed that. And then at some point we realized, you know what? We want to start trying to have kids. We want to start having a family. And, and our little house isn't going to be big enough for a family. And, and so we realized, well, at some point we're going to have to upgrade. We're going to have to get a, a more significant house. And, and things were going well financially for us. Michelle was doing well in real estate. We thought, what if we bought a bigger house and we rented our house out? 
And that just seemed to make a lot of sense. And so that's what we did. We bought a second house. We moved our family into that. And this is right as we began to have kids. And, and, and we had space to grow into that house. We could be there for years and years and years. And we took our other house and made it into a rental. And, and I remember having this thought going, I am managing my money so well. And I, I just le- literally felt like this. Like, God, I am, I'm being a good steward. I have taken what you've given me. And I'm doing a really good job with it. And I wasn't consumed by it. And everything was great. Until this little thing you may have heard of called the recession hit. I don't know how the recession hit you, uh, but I can tell you in Arizona, uh, it decimated the, the, the housing market. And so I remember going from feeling pretty good about finances to one day realizing I was completely upside down on two houses and I could not see a way out of it. I could not see a way to get any of these numbers to work with our new situation. And it was going to be like this for years and years and years. I remember laying in bed at night and just worried about my family. What have I done? I mean, I've made such poor financial decisions in my earliest years of marriage that I have, have, you know, permanently strapped my family from, you know, whatever might happen in the future because of this. I remember wondering, where are we? We have to live somewhere. Like, what what are we going to do if we lose the house, we lose this? And, And just the fear and the worry behind all of that. I'd love to tell you, oh, but don't worry. I just prayed a prayer. Because I'm a pastor, God answers all my prayers, and it's great. Uh, it didn't work out like that. We foreclosed on our first house. Isn't that awesome to say? Yeah, I bought a house and foreclosed on it. Our second house, uh, we short sold. So I know what it feels like to go, well, that didn't work at all. We ended up living in a rental house because that was the only option available to us. We, we had no credit at that point. We had uh, no, you know, no financial security, nothing. And, and I, I remember going from feeling like I was doing so great to, to feeling like such a failure with this. And fear was so much a part of those days. Maybe you've had that season in your life where you know what that fear feels like. But something ironic happened in the years since then. That as our situation has gotten better and, and as we've, you know, worked our way out of that situation, we've, we've had seasons where we felt, hey, we're, we're doing really well and things are, are much stronger than they used to be. But you know what I realized? You can still be afraid even in the good times. Now we think, oh, of course you're going to be afraid when, when you don't have enough. What I realized is you can be afraid even when you have enough. And, and that ultimately fear isn't dependent on your financial situation. Now we think, well, of course, Jeremy, I'm afraid because you don't know my finances. Here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter. Fear is a choice you make. You can be afraid with a lot. You can be afraid with a little. Uh, fear is your reaction to what's going on. And I've, I've experienced enough of both of them to know, yeah, fear is available in both those situations. So today what I want to talk about is what would we experience if we were to think about our money and our stuff the way Jesus would invite us to, would we experience less fear or at least less unhealthy fear? And the answer is, is uh, of course we would. We, we would experience a lot less. And so I want to show you a different model. We're going to read some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And here's what I would tell you. Uh, as we get into it, we look at this. This is going to sound weird to you. Uh, it, it's intentionally weird because it is so contrary to the way the world works And yet you're going to realize Jesus is offering us a profound alternative to what is normal around us if we would consider it. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Huge point he makes there. Where you have physical, tangible treasure in your life is where your heart will go. Or said differently, your heart will be attached to whatever you treasure. I can illustrate this. Have you ever had to park your car with something valuable in it? Maybe it was a purse, a laptop, an iPad, something that you, you couldn't bring with you. You had to leave it in the car. And, and so you go to your next meeting or appointment or wherever it is that you're going, and, and you've parked your car there. And you ever felt the worry of that where you're running through your mind going, I hope it's still there. I hope nobody saw it. And did I hide it well enough? And what if they broke into my car and they stole it? And, oh, my goodness, that's going to be terrible if I lose this. And, and all of a sudden you realize all of that worry because your heart is attached in a very literal way. Psychologists have studied attachment theory, and it begins when we're infants, that we begin to attach our heart to physical things. And we often don't even realize that we do this. Uh, Let me illustrate it another way by giving you a confession. And I I just want to apologize in advance if this hurts your feelings, but I feel like I I owe you this amount of honesty. Here's my confession. I don't worry about your job. Just want to let you know, I'm not worried about it. I don't worry about whether you're going to lose your job. I don't worry about whether you're going to get a promotion. I'm not worried about where you park your car. I'm not worried about what you're going to wear tomorrow. I'm not worried about whether or not you need to mow your your yard in the front. Now, if you're my neighbor, I have a few opinions about that. But as Michelle talked about last week, I should probably just go mow it for you, you know. (laughs) But here's the point. I'm not worried about any of those things, but I care about them. I, I would care, you know, if you told me, oh, man, I'm so sorry, this or that. But, but I'm not worried about them because my heart is not attached to them the way yours is. Now, lest you start getting all judgy on me, you're not all that worried about my situation either. All right, so let's be honest, right? You're not laying in bed and I go, oh, my goodness, I hope Jeremy's doing okay. You're not worried because you're not attached to my situation the way I am. And I'm not attached to your situation the way you are. So how do we properly attach ourselves to the stuff that we have, to the things that we treasure? How how do we learn how to navigate this without creating worry? I love the way that Jonathan Swift says it. He says, a wise person should have money in their head, but not in their heart. Can you you separate those, you know, where where you just go, okay, I'm going to intellectually think about this. I'm going to manage it, but it's not going to affect my heart. It's not going to have my emotions. Now, here's something to consider, and maybe you've never thought about this. Do you know that God doesn't worry? In particular, God doesn't worry about finances. Uh, Let me say it differently. Do you know that God doesn't have cash flow issues? Can you imagine praying to God? You go, God, look, this month's been tight. My rent, I don't know how we're going to cover it. My mortgage, this car payment, whatever it is. I, I just don't know. God, the numbers don't add up. I need a miracle. God, I need you to supernaturally give me a check, do something. If you don't come through, we're, we're toast. And imagine if you got a response from God and he goes, oh, thank you for asking me. I, I'm so glad that you're coming to me. You have that relationship. That is amazing. Here's the problem. I'm a little backed up right now. You see, some of the other people in your church, they've been asking me for stuff too, and I'm kind of in the process of doing that. So here's the deal. If you could just repray that in like three to four days, I should be fine. Move some funds around, then it would be great. Can we, can we do that? No. 
God doesn't work out of a scarcity mentality. God's not, you know, hoarding some limited amount of funds going, oh, hope I can make this one work. God is not worried about money, which means if we are, we are distancing ourselves from what God views about money. We are distancing ourselves from the relationship that God has with this stuff. And yet for some of us, it's just totally normal. But God's going, hey, why don't, you, why don't you trust me more? Why don't you lean into me more and I'll take care of this and you don't have to have it all figured out the way that you think you might. And yet our failure to see all of this from God's point of view is what creates the fear and, and the worry. And so we have to rethink it. Now jump down to verse 25 and we'll see Jesus is going to break this down a little bit for us and make it real practical. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. He's going, look, there's an unhealthy fear. It'll express itself in worry, and I don't want you to have it. Don't not worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or soar away in barns, and in your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, again, this is one of those you keep reading, like, okay, whatever. Let's stop a moment and do what he says. Look at the birds. I don't know when the last time that you just stared at a bird was. I don't do it a lot, right? But Jesus is saying, look at the birds. So let's look at the birds. When's the last time you just watched a bird? That you just noticed what a bird does? I don't know if you've done this lately. Do you know how jittery birds are? I mean, they're like always moving or twitching or doing something. They're never just hanging out. He didn't say, look at the sloth and you know, lounge around like the sloth. No, look at a bird. You're like, that thing is like always twitching. What's going on with it? And birds are tirelessly active. You ever see a bird just hanging out lounging? No, even a bird bath is super involved, all the stuff that they're doing. You know, it's like when they're relaxing, they, they stress me out. So I, I think we have to understand, okay, part of this is birds aren't, aren't, you know, not doing anything. They're active. They're doing their part. But despite that, birds are at the whim of nature. A bird can build a nest, can, you know, find food, can do all of that. But if a storm comes through or the rains come or whatever, the, the bird is going to be susceptible to that. I think Jesus is offering something here going, look, it's okay to be active in managing money. It's okay to, to be involved. You don't have to, you know, take your hands off it. But you have to understand that there are other variables that are out of your control and you should not be worried about them. I don't think a bird is paranoid about the weather. I think they just go about their life doing what they do. And there's something in this analogy that Jesus is going, hey, look at the birds. You can get involved and do all that, but they don't need to worry about what if all the other variables that might happen. Keep reading in verse 27. He's going to give us another image. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This is one of my favorite questions Jesus ever asked. I mean, that is a profound question. Hey, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, when you worry, do you add an hour to your life? Well, no. Okay, then why are you doing it? The point is, you gain nothing from this unhealthy fear. Nothing. It benefits you nothing. If anything, it obviously will tear you down. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. You may not know that reference. Solomon was one of the great kings of the Old Testament and was the king known for having everything. I mean, just abundance and prosperity and riches galore. And Jesus goes, you remember Solomon? He had nothing 
on these flowers. You're like, what on earth is he talking about? If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after. Now, if you like to notate in your Bible, highlight that phrase, circle it, star it, whatever. It's going to be a, a notable phrase. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Yeah, the pagans are consumed by this. But what are pagans? Non-believers who don't follow God, who don't, you know, have anything else. They, they are consumed in their pursuit of all this stuff. So again, you're going, okay, what's going on here? Well, Jesus said, see the flowers. So let's do what he said. All right, flowers. When's the last time you stared at some flowers? I don't know. I don't find myself doing this a whole lot. Uh, but, but stare at the flowers. Now, here's the deal. I actually like gardening. I, I, I like, you know, pruning things. I like watering things. I like, you know, watching them grow and get healthy. Um, but I have killed more flowers and bushes and trees in my lifetime than I care to, to be honest. Right? Uh, it just happens, right? So I'm thinking about, okay, Jesus, what do you want us to know about flowers and birds? Like, what do these two images have in common? You know what it is? They're both fragile images. Jesus is intentionally picking two things that, that are not known as icons of security. These are incredibly fragile images. And he's going, hey, I want you to think about these kind of things. No one says, hey, I hope someday my financial situation is as strong as a bird. <laughs> Man, one day I want my, my retirement to be so rooted, you know, like a flower in the field. That's how rooted you want? I mean, it's like, these are not images. Consider the next time you go to a bank. Walk into a bank, notice the architecture. Notice the, the pillars, you know, the, the huge displays of, of concrete and, and, and strength. And, and you go buy a vault and you go, wow, look at that vault. My money is safe there. Your money's not in there. But they have convinced you, look how secure all of this is. These are icons of security. Jesus goes, no, 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 I'm going to go the other way on this image. I'm not going to go to these, you know, these images of security. I'm going to take you into the field with flowers and birds. You're going, what's he doing here? See, Jesus is intentionally inviting us, I would say pushing us, to think about our money in fragile terms. Why would he do that? Because the only way you can navigate this is through a dependence upon him. If you manage your money like this, you will have all kinds of fear, unless you develop a trust. Unless you develop a, a sense that, that Jesus is in this and he's going to provide for you and he will take care of you. And then all of a sudden you can navigate it differently. So I'd ask this question. Is it possible to manage money well without worrying about it? Is this even a realistic thing? Can we do this? Can we manage our money well? Can we be good stewards? Not, you know, putting our head in the sand and just taking our hands off. But could we manage it without the worry taking over. Now, a lot of us will go, well, I, just, I just think that, you know, worry is just a part of it, Jeremy. It's just, it's not possible. Well, let me share, you, share with you four words that, that I think are incredibly profound. They come from a New Testament scholar. Here's what he said. Worry is practical atheism. What does that mean? Well, what is atheism? That's the, this idea that I don't believe in God. I, I don't believe in that. Okay, great. Uh, uh, most of us today, 
would say, no, I do believe in God. I'm not an atheist. Now, if you are an atheist, glad you're here. You're welcome here. But, but the majority of us would probably say, no, we, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus. Great. But here's what this scholar is saying. If you live your life dominated by worry, you can call yourself a Christian, but you're living as an atheist. And, and that should be one of those quotes you go, whoa. Because it is so inconsistent with what Jesus is offering us. So we can say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, I follow him. But if your life is dominated by worry, you are living as an atheist. Let me, let me illustrate what, what I think Jesus is inviting us into. See, I think Jesus looks at us and says, look, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Um, if you would have a relationship with me, I will be the source of all that you need. So let's think of this and just go, okay, this is all that, that Jesus can provide us. And, and so we need somehow to, to take this, to, to you know, uh, be a part of it and, so this is, this is us. I always wondered in, you know, my science class in junior high if I was ever going to use these biggers again. Thanks, Mom. Here I am today. All right. So let's say that's us. And so Jesus comes to us and goes, look, I know you have needs, and I'm, I'm going to be there for you. And if you would learn how to trust in me, you learn how to depend in me, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I will provide what you need. And this, is, this should be just a very normal part of, of following Jesus. But then there should be this other point where you realize, you know what? I have more than I need. That, that Jesus is so richly giving me, and, and again, this is not all, always material, but he's just providing for me, he's taking care of me, I have more than I need. So when you get to that point, you realize, wow, he keeps giving me more. You have overflow. And this is the normal life Jesus desires for each and every one of us. That he would give for us, he'd provide for us, and you go, wow, this is amazing. I have overflow. You know what's so amazing about overflow? is you get to be a part of, of God doing supernatural things with the people around you. That all of a sudden, all those around you, all those you have influence over, uh, their lives will be forever changed because of things that you're doing, because of the overflow that God has given you. And you get to take part in some unbelievable stories. And you go, God, thank you for using me. And it's all because you had overflow. Now, here's the problem. This is the way that it should be, but... A lot of us go, well, that sounds great in theory, but I got, I've got more fear than that. I've got more anxiety. I, I worry a lot. I got a lot of what ifs. And so uh, where that might be the, the, the ideal, you go, nope, this is what I look like. I, I got a little bit more fear than that guy. And so uh, let's do the same example, okay? Jesus comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do this. You're like, great, because I got a lot, Jesus. I, I need a lot. And so he starts taking care of you. He's providing for you. You're going, great, this is good. We're going the right direction, but, you know, all these other things i got to worry about, Jesus. And so he keeps providing for you. And at some point you realize, I don't have enough. All these things that you promised me, they're, they're not enough. What if, what if, what if? i got all these other things, and what if this happens, and what if that happens? And these are real variables, and, and Jesus, you're going to have to deliver more. And the reality is, many of us never experience overflow. What's the difference? In both of these examples, the amount of water I poured is exactly the same. The difference is the size of your fear. The more fear you have, the less you will ever experience overflow. And, and some of us, we go, I've, I've never felt overflow. I'm always worried. I'm always paranoid about what's next. I need to get more and more and more. And in that situation, Jesus is going, I, I've given you more than you need. But your fear is distorting reality. Your fear is keeping you from seeing. 
And, and so where the desire might be that you would live a life of overflow, so many of us go, I, I've never felt that. I've never been a part of that. So what do we do when, when, when that's your situation? You go, I just, I'm fearful. I'm, a, I'm afraid. I just don't know if I can ever get there. Let me show you a couple more verses in verse 33. Here's what Jesus says. And you go, okay, well, how, how do I practice this? He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so if I were to seek first this kingdom, all these things would be added. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. Some of you are like, tomorrow? I'm worried about my whole week right now. I'm not just worried about tomorrow. Maybe you're like, a week? I'm worried about my whole month right now. Jesus goes, why would you even worry about tomorrow? Oh, okay, I guess, I guess like that's the filter. Like I shouldn't even have that level of fear of worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. And then notice, he says, seek first. Remember when I told you earlier that the phrase that the pagans run after? It's the same Greek word that he's saying here for seek first. So he's contrasting the image there. And in English, you might not see how obvious it is, but he's saying the pagans run after all the things of the world, but I want you to run after the kingdom of God. And the, the reality is you can only run after one of the two. They're in opposite directions. You will either run after the things of the world or you will run after the kingdom. Well, how do I know which one I'm doing? Here's a test. Are you experiencing overflow? That's how you know. If you are, are living a life running after the things of the world, you will never experience overflow. But the moment you decide, I'm going to run after the kingdom. I'm going to take care of that first. That's going to be my top priority. I'm going to run after that. All of a sudden, you will have all you need. You will have the overflow. Which one are you running after? And so we might go, well, these are our options. But, but I think what we might also realize is that if you were to, to truly understand this image and go, I can run after the kingdom. If you're going to get obsessed with that, this might be the size of your fear. And you might go, you know what, I just am convinced that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. And, man, I'm just not worried about it. And so I'm just going to realize how much I have in him and, and what I can do with that. And so as Jesus goes, hey, let's, let, let's do this, all of a sudden you realize, yep, I'm good. On all the rest of this is an incredible amount of overflow. And you get to be the person overflowing to all those people around you with all the incredible things God has done for you because you will not be defined by fear. I don't know about you, but I want that to be my life. I want people to look at me and go, that guy just lives in the overflow. It just seems like it's just overflowing all the time that you can't help but be better when you're around him. I, I want to be that kind of a person. And yet the question is whether or not I can let go of my fear to that degree, and allow Jesus to show up. And he may be thinking, Jeremy, that's a cute illustration, uh, works with water, those verses sound great, but this doesn't work in the real world. You know, that's, it's great to come to church and you guys, you know, put a cute spin on it, but that's not how the world works. These ideas of Jesus don't, don't actually add up. And, and to that, I, I would like to just close with this idea. If you can't trust God, with your finances, you shouldn't trust him with your eternity. 
real practical here. If you look at these ideas in Jesus and you go, that won't work, why on earth would you trust him with your eternity? If you can't trust him with some stuff, with some practical tools, why on earth would you give him that level of credibility on other things? And you begin to realize it's kind of an all or nothing with Jesus. You either decide he is who he says he is, and you will live your life according to his uh, design, or you say, no, I'm on my own. I'm going to do it my own way. It's the in-between that makes no sense. So let me ask you this. What if God asked you to give beyond your comfort level? You know, like, ah, hey, I'm good with this much. But what if God said, yeah, I want, I want way more than that. I want you to give away way more than that. What would it produce in you? Would it produce fear? Or would it be a natural part of overflow? You go, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. I could see how the God would overflow that in me. You begin to realize how close to home this is. I'm going to pray, and in just a moment, we're going to show you a, a video of a story of, uh, of someone who's learned this concept. And, and her story is fascinating. When you realize how she heard from God this concept of overflow and what it meant for her. And I pray that you would be encouraged by this story and that you would begin your own conversation with God to go, God, what would overflow look like in my life? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, it's easy for us to be dominated by fear of what if and the uncertainty and the unknown. And yet we pray that you give us a different perspective. Show us when we are running after the things of this world and it is robbing us of the overflow. Instead, teach us how to run after you, to, to put you first and to allow you to take care of the other things that we need. May we not run toward uh, our own ideas of security, but instead accept and embrace these fragile images and the dependence that it creates upon you. God, we want to be people of the overflow. We want to be a church known for the overflow, not known for our fear. Would you ignite our hearts in this way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I used to have this idea that I would be free um, when I was, well, I don't know. I think, that, I, think in, I think there was a time when I thought freedom and control had a lot to do with each other. Somewhere probably around high school, I made a decision that I wanted to go into medicine. I knew I wanted to be a physician. It was a, it was a while before I settled on the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology. I drive to work each day really feeling blessed that I have the career I have, that God has given me a job that's a ministry. I feel like I've got the best job in the world. Morning. All of pregnancy is a lesson in patience and a lesson in flexibility. It, it just teaches me as I watch women experience that, how important it is to live in the moment. I get to walk with women and families through really, really joyful times and through some really challenging times. You know, I get to experience life from the beginning to the moment the baby takes its first breath. I think the problem for, for a long while was that my vision of what was freedom was not in line with what God says is freedom. I, I mean, I had a real turning point at 37. It's about three years ago. I've been in Austin for seven years. 
been in practice as an OB-GYN for seven years. I had accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. I had a successful career, I was out of debt, and I just hit a point where I realized that I had all this and I was not in the content place I imagined that I'd be. It was a really uncomfortable place to be in to realize that you'd accomplished your goals and now what? You know, now what's next? And then to feel a sense of like a, just a hole, like an emptiness inside as if something was missing and yet not know what that is. As God realigned my values with his values and showed me places where I thought I was free but I wasn't yet free, that, that changed everything. Because suddenly there were some areas where I had to take some steps of surrender, imagining that those were gonna lead to more restriction and less freedom, only to find the opposite was true. That was in money, that was in relationship, but I didn't really understand yet what true freedom was gonna look like. So often when I get home from work, I can't wait to get my shoes on and get out on the trail. When I'm running, I hear really radical things from God, and that's where I go to meet Him. I feel like that's the time when He puts thoughts in my head that are really beyond myself, but that's when I get ideas. I think when, when I made a decision that it was time to just go all out and live for Christ, that it was time to really discover what it meant to be an offering to Christ, to live my life fully surrendered. It started to get crazy the things that I would hear. The biggest and most radical thing I've ever heard was your relationship and your faith are not compatible and it's time to do something about that. I mean, that was my big breakthrough was 07. You know, God moved me out of a relationship convinced me and convicted me that that was not honoring to him and it was time to, to lay that down. The second most frightening thing I've ever heard God say um, had to do with my finances. You can't go and look at another culture and not do this compare and contrast of like, this is what they have, this is how they live, this is what I have, and this is how I live. There are times when I would just sit in that and it would just break me. And I just realized that it's only by God's grace that I have anything more than they have. It's not because I'm entitled to it or I deserve it. And even if I say, well, yeah, but I earned it or I worked for it, then I would hear in the other ear, but I gave you the ability. I gave you the opportunity. I gave you the talent. I gave you the funding. I gave you the resource. I gave you the education. It's like, what do you have that I haven't given you? I was on a run and I just in a conversation with him just thinking about how might I change in response to what I had just seen, what I had just experienced. I'm just running and I hear God say, I want you to work like a doctor and I want you to live like a nurse. So I started thinking, well sure I could live on half my salary. And then I started thinking, well I could live on a quarter of my salary. And I just kind of froze in that and started thinking, well, about a quarter of my salary is probably about what the average nurse is making. I basically just took my salary and I just sectioned it off. And I said, well, this is, a, this is a, what a nurse would make. And then the remaining three quarters is his. And I felt like I said, that's right, that's what you share. 
I'm not gonna lie, it took some time getting used to living on a budget again. I hadn't really had to stop and think about how I was spending my money for a while. I don't feel like God is only asking me to spend and live within my means, but I think he's also talking to me about how I save. I mean, I've been saving for retirement pretty generously and investing a lot of money. My goals were to retire at 50 and to retire with a certain amount of money, to live in a certain lifestyle. You know, I lost six figures in an investment, and, and at that point, I felt like, you know, I, had a, I was telling you that's when I had a lot of peace, and I had a lot of peace because I felt like God was saying, why are you saving so much money? I felt like God wanted me to, to save to a lesser degree as well, and to be much more generous with my money by sharing it now. When I have a choice about whether to save or whether to share, and I get to bless somebody, often behind the scenes, and, um, and see the way that it's impacted their life, and the reality is, it feels right. It's very satisfying. feel like it fills me up and then it pours out to others around me in a way that I, I hope I bring a lot of joy to people's lives. And that joy I wouldn't have to give if he hadn't first given it to me. So. <laughs> 